Chapter 3 of The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Mrs. Henry de la Pasture. Chapter 3 The Miniatures the lonely lady went downstairs to her own bedroom after this conversation not a little cheered and comforted by the first real intercourse she had had with a human being since her arrival in grosvenor square her bedroom was on the first floor a strangely solitary apartment whereof the isolation inspired her with much nightly terror a suite of cold white drawing-rooms had been turned into a series of picture galleries and though the walls were crowded with pictures these were carefully veiled from view and the scanty furniture dotted about the ocean of polished parquet was muffled in holland covers so that the saloons presented a very comfortless and ghostly appearance the empty music-room beyond had no furniture at all save a grand piano and two shrouded chairs the great mahogany folding doors of this apartment opened upon the landing of a secondary staircase and across this landing in a cul-de-sac was the spare room which had been assigned to jean it had not occurred to miss marney that her niece might be nervous she had herself no experience of night fears she occupied the best bedroom on the second floor and dunham slept in the communicating apartment on the right whilst old mrs pike inhabited the dressing-room beyond the bathroom on her left moreover a handbell stood by her side and the knob of an electric bell was nightly placed beneath her pillow so that she might be able to summon assistance in a moment should a burglar appear as dunham constantly apprehended he would jean had a bell in her room but she had no idea whether any one would hear it if she rang it after the household had retired and being besides unaccustomed to the convenience of bells the sight of it brought her little comfort she suffered great agonies of nightly terrors thinking of the silent ghostly suite of rooms beyond her own or listening to the unaccustomed noises of the streets with the knowledge that no one else was sleeping on the same floor and that the servants quarters were carefully shut off by green baize doors at the end of the long passage but to-day she felt less lonely because the sounds overhead no longer spoke to her of mystery and suffering she could picture her aunt's face on the pillow with the pink bows tied under her chin and mrs dunham moving about making up the fire and ministering to her various needs coming freshly from the perusal of that letter penned half a century ago by a miserable little homesick schoolboy it was natural that jean should go straight to the shabby desk which contained his despised family records consisting of one worn old blue leather volume stamped faintly with the fleur-de-lis and five miniatures from this little stock of treasures she drew first her father's portrait it was a very bad little painting and perhaps her long enforced study of the romney picture in the morning-room helped to open her eyes to its deficiencies she laid it down with a sigh and lifted the triple frame which contained the three french miniatures of her great-grandfather and his brother and sister in their premier jeunesse the young marquis wore a wig of powdered curls depending on either side of a full sensuous face with a high nose 
thick dark eyebrows merry brown eyes and a pronounced dimpled chin the feature most attractive and individual was the mouth beautifully shaped and redder even than the crimson drapery held by a white hand in most artificial pose around a loosely open shirt of frilled lawn and an unbuttoned surtout charles the naval officer was cast in a sterner and plainer mould but anne marie resembled her elder brother there was no trace of the religious in this miniature which represented a young girl with raven tresses and flowered headdress piled above arched brows and hazel eyes and simpering cherry bow-shaped lips it was strange to look upon the picture and read the record in the shabby book of her dignified heroic acceptance of imprisonment of her lonely death in the citadel of calais the first woman of her order to suffer arrest and victim most innocent of the revolution the fifth miniature was in a locket and represented her grandfather henry as he had been when he married miss jane marney of orset doubtless the medallion was a wedding present and had been worn upon the bride's heart for a lock of the gallant colonel's grey hair was enclosed in the crystal back and on the rim was engraved in minute letters henry charles louis marquis et comte de courset etc etc colonel twenty ninth hussars jean's father bore only his name the french title had evidently been discarded by his mother's family the boy who was destined to become marnie of orset could afford to ignore such empty and barren honours perhaps the gentle jane had been less scornful jean thought louise and jean had built many a fairy castle of hope and romance in their childhood all founded upon this wonderful french ancestry which miss marnie regarded so contemptuously louise was burning with ambition and fertile in imagination and his bold fancy embraced many a scheme for the restoration of the french monarchy and his own consequent aggrandizement his hopes were for himself jeanne's were for him but her sympathy and ardour were not the less warm on this account and her dreams continued long after this had been quenched in the realities of an active life their honest prosaic welsh uncle had no idea of the secret aspiration of the twins early youth nor was his respect for french blood and breeding any higher than miss marney's own louise and jean who were called louis and jane at coedithel ascribed his contempt to ignorance and learned to smile inwardly when he expressed his views on the subject poor sister jenny said the farmer alluding to their dead mother with indulgent pity so much to do about her grand marriage and willy-nilly she must have him against the wishes of his family and what did my fine gentleman do for her after all lost her a good situation in bath and sent her here with his pedigree in her pocket and never a brass farthing to keep it company a pedigree be good for stock but it never made human beings any more worth that i ever heard of poor jenny had a hankering after the gentry more than ever i could understand but there it is she was church and i was chapel so to speak and her children shall be what she was as is but right and natural still she came to be glad pension or no pension that her boy should be brought up on a good honest farm i don't grudge him a good education though he's a gentleman's son and i can afford to pay for un take it and welcome says i
Louis took the best he could get. The rector of the parish was friendly with the headmaster of the grammar school in the nearest large market town and interested him in the history of the twins while Louis was yet a little boy. The child's lively intelligence, precocity and good looks did the rest. In time, Louis won scholarships as well as the approval and affection of his master and he delighted his uncle by retaining his interest in the farm throughout the triumphs which awaited him in his school and college career. "'You can't make that boy a farmer,' said the grammar school wiseacre. "'I'll be a farmer some day,' said young Louis, "'but a soldier first, as my father was before me. "'Uncle Roberts can carry on the farm without any help for many a long year yet. "'When he wants that, I'll come.' The lad was bold and knew his own mind and went to speak it. He won his uncle over to his own way of thinking, where the schoolmaster might have advised in vain and went to an army crammer in due course.' old levelin roberts showed no sign that he grudged the expense of the lad's education perhaps he was proud of his nephew's wit and industry and the ease with which he held his own in sport as in study but when louis had once obtained his commission his uncle beyond providing him with his outfit and fifty pounds in ready money assisted him no further holding that he was now a made man who must earn his bread and live by his profession the boy asked no more favours sailed for india with a light heart and the highest hopes and managed for a couple of years by hook or by crook to keep his head above water in spite of a too open-handed disposition now and then jean received from him letters of financial despair over which she wept for she had not a penny of her own in the world and was powerless to help him but when the south african war broke out and louis who had been coming home with his regiment in the spring was ordered to the front he wrote joyfully to jean i wonder how many poor fellows this war has saved from bankruptcy me for one Levelyn Roberts was a sturdy, independent man and had sought no assistance in the bringing up of his orphan nephew and niece from their father's relatives. Nevertheless, he was too shrewd a Welshman to refuse the tardy hand of fellowship held out by their wealthy and presumably dying great-aunt. On receipt of Miss Marnie's telegram, he had desired his niece to pack up immediately and go to London and to stay as long as she was wanted. Girls did not enter much into the calculations of Uncle Roberts. He was a man of few words and fewer promises, and though he made no secret of his intention that Louise should inherit Coedithel, he never talked of making any provision for Jean. If her great-aunt left her a legacy, however, so much the better for her. Whether she did or no, Jean was a pretty girl and would probably get married some day. Uncle Roberts did not pause to consider that Jean had scarcely seen, much less spoken to a marriageable young man in her life. If she did not marry, it would be her brother's obvious duty to keep her. He did not trouble himself concerning Jean, though he liked in a vague way to know she was about the place, a timid, bright-eyed, dimpled young thing, always happy and occupied, it seemed to him, with her own harmless concerns into which he had no wish to pry. He left her entirely to the care and under the orders of old Granny Morgan, the woman who kept house for him, and who still looked upon Jean as a little girl, though she was five and twenty years old. 
nor did jean receive overmuch consideration at the rectory whether she was perpetually invited or sent for to play with the solitary daughter of the house some two years her senior because cecilia required a playmate and jean was gentle good-tempered and refined in speech and manner being quick to observe and to imitate all that appealed to her natural taste and to discard what did not she learned her first lessons in the village school which was more than two miles distant from coedithel and a long tramp for a little maid in bad weather here she got on so fast that her uncle was minded to send her to a genteel boarding-school being well-to-do but he was happily deterred from this course by the rector's wife who was not and who saw her way to half the salary of a governess and obtained a companion for her child at one and the same time louis privately rejoiced over this arrangement whilst pretending to scorn jean's studies and her friendship for the spoiled cecilia he found fault with her teased her and commanded her after the fashion of brothers while she worshipped him untiringly excused his faults and bore patiently with his moods though often winking away a tear in secret after the fashion of sisters the twins loved each other so intensely that they were obliged to hide their feelings each from each for fear the other should discover the truth jean of course concealed her affection less carefully than louise wept openly when he went to school and even seized the opportunity to be personally demonstrative whenever he was from any cause too dejected to resent being kissed or to be annoyed with her for thus dragging to the surface feelings which should have been too deep for outward expression she reproached him sometimes for unkindness when he declined her offered caresses but secretly she thought him a very manly boy though louise indulged far less in romantic day-dreams than did his solitary sister yet he treasured the few records of his family's past greatness no less jealously than he though his prejudices as a british schoolboy warred with his sympathy for france yet he had the history of that country at his fingers ends and kept steadily in view his determination to perfect himself in the language of his fathers as he grew older his perception widened with his reading and he found it possible to combine loyalty for the land of his adoption with reverence for the misfortunes of his own race at sandhurst it was the fashion among his comrades to encourage young de Courset to hold forth upon the tragedy which must ensue in case war broke out between england and france his intentions hovered between a dramatic resignation of his sword and immediate suicide and the cadets warmly advocated the latter course and supplied him with innumerable receipts for a painless end their derision was of a friendly kind however for louis was popular amusing and sincere it is affection which usually excites the ridicule that kills and is the unforgivable sin most utterly detested by honest youth from the time of his first school-going louis lived but little at the farm and as he was not infrequently invited to pass a portion of his holidays with one schoolfellow or another he had many friends of whom his sister knew next to nothing and lived a life altogether separated from hers but she enjoyed all his confidence exulted in his successes and sympathized passionately with his troubles 
Perhaps she was less impressed with his wisdom than Louise always liked, for her rustic shyness and ignorance born of utter inexperience made him appear and feel much older than his twin sister. She thought him careless and extravagant, as indeed he was, and sent him little sermons concerning these tendencies. Sometimes her advice was more humorous than practical. I'm so sorry you do not like your C.O. He must be horrid, but do try hard, my dearest boy, to please him. For instance, you are so quick and clever. Could you not get up early and do all his work for him sometimes? I feel sure this would be the way to get on. And when they saw how much better you did it than he could, surely they would promote you. And please do send me your socks to mend. I'm sure it would pay for the postage to get them properly done but if louis laughed over these and other effusions from the anxious little sister his laughter was always tender her only confidant and the humble sharer of her hopes and her fears for her brother was granny morgan and these letters were often the upshot of their consultations it is so difficult to know how to say enough and not too much she would explain to the old woman but it frightens me to hear of these subscriptions and things when he has no money a word here and a word there my dearie like water dropping on a stone said granny morgan he'll take to counting his clothes when they comes home from the wash as he grows older but the best of men is careless about such things just mix up a warning like in all the news you send him like a powder and jam and some of it will come home to him when he least expects it jean herself hardly knew the meaning of extravagance or self-indulgence she grew up hard-working and simple red-cheeked and bright-eyed an adept in bee-keeping and fruit-preserving and butter-making though being the farmer's niece she naturally left the milking of the cows to the herdsman nor would old morgan permit her to put her hand to any of the rougher work of the house but prided herself on bringing up jean like a lady to sew her seam and look after the dairy nevertheless jean had her troubles for though the rector and his wife were kind and homely she was of little account in their eyes compared with their own overindulged daughter cecilia in consequence gave herself airs and being older and bolder than her humble playmate constantly asserted and maintained her superiority until she electrified her little world by marrying at eighteen a celebrated scientist an archaeologist who had come to this out-of-the-way corner of wales in order to examine the ruins for which it was famous the professor's spectacled and middle-aged eyes lit upon the rector's daughter and her apple-cheeked fair-haired buxom comeliness inclined him to wed cecilia her parents never dreamed of her accepting his proposal but she did so and it turned out that he was rich and she became very superior and prosperous on the spot thus she passed out of jean's life and very nearly out of her parents lives also who had existed since her birth only for her and who were equally pained and bewildered by this unforeseen result of her promotion jean though she had not at the same time much regretted the departure of cecilia had certainly missed her since the fitful semblance of friendship had been kept up between them to the last for a few months after the wedding a desultory correspondence was maintained then mrs hogg watson became too busy or too magnificent to write any more to her humble friend at coed ethel farm 
i think the child is honest dunham i'm sure of it ma'am her eyes remind me of clumber you remember clumber yes ma'am said dunham with an infection of disapproval but i would be sorry to compare a christian for a dog ma'am nevertheless she has the same brown faithful eyes as my dear old spaniel dunham permitted herself a slight sniff and though she appears self-engrossed as all young people do she is not really thinking of herself at all but of her brother she is on the watch as clumber used to be for me jealously guarding him all the while though he is so far away my heart went out to her dunham for she is my own kith and kin after all she is so gentle and so faithful not at all the vulgar young woman i had dreaded she is too simple to be vulgar ma'am said dunham shrewdly she is very rustic and timid of course so she is ma'am almost afraid to eat and drink hewitt says i desire you will not repeat the servant's gossip about my grandniece dunham i am very glad to hear she has not a gross appetite it would be lamentable in so young a person what else does he say of her i think ma'am you'll tire yourself with talking too much said dunham stiffly you are taking advantage to bully me dunham because you think me too ill to resent it said the invalid querulously me take advantage god forbid you for saying so miss caroline but you don't mean it and it's time for your mixture a tear shone in the old blue eyes perhaps i am a little tired said miss marney though i waited several days before sending for her i wouldn't let her come till i felt quite myself again then after a pause they seem to have taken a great care of their french family rubbish such as it is all these years dunham they must be worthy of trust i'm one as judges by small things ma'am and i'm sure of it she's not so much as thrown a burnt match about since she's been here never a chair moved out of its place in the morning room but it's put back and the new ormolu fender hasn't another mark on it since the day the curate called and balanced hisself on the edge of it all the time he was asking you for a subscription yes i looked up the bill for the fender and deducted the amount from the sum i had intended to give said miss marney grimly i am glad she's careful of the furniture it confirms my good opinion dunham i am half thinking of sending for mr valentine to-morrow i've no opinion of half thoughts ma'am they generally come to nothing you will write him a line to-night said miss caroline jean sat over the fire with the miniatures in her lap when dunham came tapping at the door a letter for you missy from south africa i thought i would bring it myself and hear how the young gentleman was how very kind of you jean's eyes opened in grateful astonishment at this sudden access of attentiveness i've seen his photograph missy said dunham in subdued tones betraying however that note of personal interest which had hitherto been entirely lacking in her brief converse with jean did aunt marney i mean aunt caroline show it to you yes missy she did you have lived with her a long long time mrs dunham haven't you yes missy you'll be wanting to look at your letter jean opened it reluctantly she preferred reading those sacred epistles from her far-away soldier in solitude a page at a time to eke out her delight but the first glance at the closely written sheets caused her to utter an incredulous sound of delight and surprise 
oh mrs dunham his passage is booked he is coming home he will sail by the britain early in january or at least he hopes he will she forgot her desire for solitude in the joy of sharing the good news i am very glad missy dunham's voice was troubled i don't know if i ought to take it on myself but if you could send him a cable and ask him to start earlier earlier but i never expected him to come at all dunham hesitated her small dim eyes peered anxiously out of her wrinkled face your auntie would like to see him but she will see him dunham shook her head sorrowfully i am sure you are over anxious mrs dunham said jean who now beheld all the world through rose-coloured spectacles indeed indeed she does not seem to me so very ill dunham evaded the subject it might make a great difference missy to the young gentleman she urged beneath her breath a great difference said jean but though she was simple she was not stupid a light broke in upon her oh you could not you could not suppose he would hurry home for that she cried in horror it is sometimes difficult for the old to fathom the disinterestedness the lofty sentiment of the very young but dunham did not make the mistake of doubting jean's sincerity he is so like the old colonel miss jane she said earnestly that your auntie can think of nothing else when she wasn't talking to me she's lain there looking at the photograph like one in a dream she was terrible wrapped up in her papa missy and that picture in the morning-room is the apple of her eye it was a thousand pities the young gentleman didn't walk in to see her before he started for the war but mrs dunham we did not even know where she lived it is more than five-and-twenty years ago that my father broke with his mother's people they were never in our lives at all i know missy and more's the pity for the young gentleman is a marnie every inch of him as his auntie keeps saying he is a de corset said jean and her cheeks burnt not in looks miss jane as you could not deny if you remembered your own father as i do said the maid with asperity oh mrs dunham do you indeed please tell me about him cried jean and she dropped her dignified manner in haste uncle roberts never speaks of him he tells us nothing we are told to speak no ill of the dead miss jane said dunham if your poor papa didn't turn out as steady a young gentleman as his best friends would have wished why he died for his country missy as no man can do more and in the grave as they say all is forgotten i can't stop for your auntie doesn't like me out of her sight but if you could only think over without a word to your auntie about cabling to mr louis the name came naturally to her lips you needn't to give him any reason but just to say that it was best for him to come oh mrs dunham louis and i have no secrets from each other of course if i cabled for him i must tell him why and though he loves me more than any one else in the whole world said jean and her tone was jealously exultant and would do what i asked him if he possibly could yet his work comes first a soldier must think of his duty you know and his whole career besides depends on it i am perfectly certain he could not get away earlier all his letters are full of his longing to get home just think that he has not seen england for five years nor me his only sister and his twin and you can imagine that if he could get away a single day sooner he would be 
only too glad to do it poor young gentleman he must have had a hard time but he's got on well by all accounts and been steady missy i hope said dunham lingering steady why he has done brilliantly cried jean with soft indignation she seized the chance of holding forth upon her brother's perfections the more eagerly because she had had no listener for three weeks and also because like many young people she was at this period of her life most exclusively interested in her own concerns just think of him mrs dunham a poor young lieutenant in a line regiment with nothing but his pay and now he is a captain at five-and-twenty and has the dso he wasn't even very glad at his promotion for so many of his regiment were killed poor fellows and he always thought that was so like louise that they were better men than he he said the best always got shot it was like a fatality but louise came through it all without a scratch and he was mentioned in dispatches twice mrs dunham he was indeed uncle roberts pretended not to care but he cried he actually cried when the rector came up with the paper and his colonel wrote about him to uncle levelin though louise couldn't bear him when first he joined but on active service he said it was all different and when the war was over he got his job at durban about the prisoners of war partly because he learned dutch so quickly that he spoke it quite well and of course it gave him extra pay but it was all all through his own cleverness for he has no interest mrs dunham none whatever he's got it in his face missy said dunham in the same subdued tones but still i'm sorry very sorry i am that he couldn't be here for your auntie's last christmas does the doctor say that said jean startled oh missy i go by my own senses that's known her fifty years far better than any doctor said dunham a professional gentleman knows better than to make prophecies and risk being wrong after all his patients want to be told that they must do to get well again it's not his business not yet his interest to tell them that they won't never get well to bid them give over hoping does aunt caroline know yes missy said dunham solemnly she knows as well as i do End of chapter three